At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. This is John Katsimatidis, the number one show at 5 o'clock, and now when I hear truth, justice, and the American way, I feel like putting on my uh, Superman uniform. And and uh, we have a great show for you today. So many things happening in the studio with us. We have some common sense friends. We have Judge Richard Weinberg, Governor George Pataki, and Craig Eaton, a prominent attorney, 10 years, GOP chairman in Brooklyn. And, of course, my Rita here, Thank Rita you. Cosby. And uh, we have a great show for today. I mean, uh, there's so many things going on with uh, President Trump. And possible indictments. And I think we're going to start off with Alan Dershowitz. And at the end of the show, we have... We have uh, Robert Costello. We got an action-packed Robert show. Robert Costello, who uh, was, was testifying on the, uh, the yesterday on the grand jury. He may be the pivotal witness, and, and he's going to be on the show. one smart guy, Ed Rollins, uh, and uh, he's been around the GOP for uh, about 100 years. Legendary, and, uh, he's Legendary. legendary. Uh, we have Charlie Gasparino. What the heck is going on in the markets? And uh, should we bring in uh, Mr. Dershowitz? Absolutely. Let's bring. We got all the layers covered here on Cats and Cosby, the number one show. And joining us now, of course, is the leading constitutional lawyer, Harvard Law School emeritus, uh, the best attorney I think out there, Alan Dershowitz, Professor Dershowitz. Uh, let's get right to it. Uh, where do you think this is headed? Uh, does it look like there could be an indictment as early as maybe tomorrow? Yeah, before we get to that, I just want to tip my hat to Willis Reed. He gave me so much pleasure and service aggravation as a Celtics fan, uh, but he was such a great ball player and what a competitor. I'll never forget that game seven where he just limped around the court and won the game for them. And absolutely he just, just passed well, away. Absolutely. Willis okay. Reed passed away in the last. I know. Uh, and, I know. And what happened to him? He was having uh, uh, some health problems. He couldn't walk yeah. right. Tell us uh, about yeah. Willis Reed. I, I, I don't know. All I know is when he was at the top, at the top of his game, he just dominated the court and, and his heroic comeback in game seven. Uh, nobody can, can forget that. It was an American story. And, and, by, and just, by the way, Professor, just so people know who he is, of course, a former basketball player, coach, general manager, uh, his entire career at New York Knicks. So invaluable. And you've yeah. got, you got something Alan to say, is, Alan is George Pataki. I was at that seventh game at the Garden. Oh my and God. and, oh and my the Knicks God. were out there and everybody's wondering, oh, where is Willis? And then he limps out. Yeah. Uh, I and I've never heard as loud a, a roar in my life as I did that afternoon in, in the garden. It was just a, a memorable note. He was a great star at the Knicks and also a wonderful human being. And uh, by the way, spe- and speaking of roars, uh, are we going to hear a roar from President Trump tomorrow? What do you think, Professor? Uh, well, I think that uh, – and, and I, I would like you to ask Costello, who's a great lawyer – 
this question. I think Costello gave the prosecution an inadvertently a great gift because I think he told Bragg and the prosecutors, you cannot use Cohen. He is a complete liar, perjurer. He'll say anything. He'll do anything. Costello proved that. Now, if Bragg has any brains, if the prosecution have any brains, they won't even allow Cohen near the courthouse. They will try to make the case through Pecker, through the financial guy, maybe even through uh, Stormy Daniels. But stay away from Cohen as somebody who's had experience in 60 years in teaching and litigating these cases. You do not use a flawed witness like Cohen, and I think Costello put the last nail in Cohen's coffin as a potential witness. So that's what I think. Now, they may be stupid, and they may do what so many other prosecutors have done, put on too many witnesses that happened in the O.J. case, that happened in a case called John Landis, where I was one of the lawyers. You put on too big a case. You allow the other side to destroy it. Your credibility is ruined because the jury tends to identify a witness with whoever called them. So my advice to the prosecution is do not go near Cohen. My advice to the wait, wait, how about advice to, to, to President Trump's lawyer? <laughs> okay, that's what I'm giving you now. My okay. advice to President Trump's lawyers, do not put Trump on the witness stand because he'll be asked embarrassing, irrelevant questions, and he'll be tempted to tell his version of the truth, which the jury won't believe. Do not have Trump or the lawyer deny the affair with Stormy Daniels. The lawyer's already done that outside the court. That's okay. In the courtroom, do not let the jury hear a denial because they're not going to believe it. They're going to believe that there was an affair, whether there was or not. They're going to believe that. And cases of this kind are decided by credibility. Which side gets the trust of the jury? And when you put on a lying witness or you lie to the jury, You've lost the case. Professor, this is Craig Eaton. You know, I agree with you 100 percent. For them to be relying on Michael Cohen's testimony is a mistake. I mean, he's yeah. he's a felon. He went to prison. And now all of a sudden he's turning on Trump and he's their star witness. But you know what? They were talking last week about Trump being arrested today. And now yeah. all of a sudden Costello says what he has to say to the grand jury. And now it seems like they're kicking the can down the road a little bit. Maybe they're a little nervous yeah. about what's happening. It's possible. Also, Bragg doesn't want to have Trump's prediction come true. He said Tuesday, they're not going to do it Tuesday. Also, under New York law, the defense has the right to ask the grand jury to hear one of its witnesses. Look, I lay all this out. I make all these points in my new book called Get Trump, which I wrote a couple of months ago, but everything in it has come true. I predicted the indictment. I predicted that Cohen would be uh, considered to be a witness, and he'd be a terrible witness. And so I'm really, you know, happy with my ability to prognosticate these legal issues in my book, Get Trump. And if you want to protest this prosecution, which is outrageous, the worst abuse of prosecutorial discretion, I've seen in 60 years one way of protesting it is make my book a bestseller. Well, that well, will show brag. Only if you sign the books. And at least have some accountability here. Only if you sign the books, Professor Dershowitz. It's Richard Weinberg. So this is this is the question. This is the question. So they've put together the grand jury. They've presented the grand jury. So what are the possible counts in the indictment? False filing? I thought it was a misdemeanor with a two-year statute of limitations. And how do they kick it up to a felony to get around that and make it a five-year statute of limitations? 
Well, here's the way their arguments go. They're going to say the statute of limitations was paused because Trump couldn't be served. They didn't know where he was. He was in the White House or he wasn't in New York. And the New York Court of Appeals has written a decision a couple of years ago saying he has to be essentially continuously in New York. Well, they're going to claim that because he was the president, because he went to Florida, he wasn't in New York. That's an absurd argument. That statute of limitations has clearly expired on the two-year misdemeanor. And as far as the five-year felony is concerned, it's a closer case. But still, uh, what happened with Stormy Daniels happened six, seven years ago. So that's going to be hard to get around. Second, they're going to have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the reason that he said legal expenses instead of telling the truth. Can you imagine anybody writing a record in a corporate company saying, oh, yeah, I paid the hush money to a porn star to avoid anybody knowing that I committed adultery with my wife. Has anybody ever done that? Of course not. And so they decided to keep the hush hush and they use the term legal expenses, which is nothing anybody would ever prosecute. Even if it was a misdemeanor, how do you elevate that to a felony? The reason he allegedly did it, if he did it, nothing to do with campaign contributions. It has to do with preventing his wife from learning about this and his family and his business associates. It's not a campaign contribution. So they're they're making it up. Look, they've labored for months and months and months, and the labor produced a mouse. A mouse's name is Mickey. This is a Mickey Mouse prosecution, and it's the worst example of prosecutorial abuse I've seen in my 60 years of practicing law. It's a scandal. Professor, this is Craig Eaton again. You know, this is political prosecution and persecution, and it's it's weaponization, just like they did with the DOJ. It's weaponization of DOJ, local law enforcement, to effectively affect the outcome of the 2024 election. That's what this is all about. There's no question about that, and there's no question that people are beginning to realize it. Even Maggie Haberman, who's a great reporter for the New York Times and reports everything negative possible about Donald Trump this morning on television, said, well, it's a little exotic, this theory. Don't know whether it really holds up. There are many Democrats and some civil libertarians, not enough, who are saying we hate Trump, we don't want him to be reelected, but this goes too far. And this could rebound on the Democrats. This could strengthen Trump. I can just imagine Trump going and getting a mugshot, and that becomes his campaign poster. Professor, this is George Pataki. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's just an absurd uh, prosecution, and I think it's going to end up helping Trump uh, if, in fact, it happens. Now, I haven't read your book. Forgive me. Uh, But uh, what does concern me, not so much this case, because it's so blatantly a political prosecution with no justification, is the Georgia case. And I don't know if you wrote about that in your book. I did. Uh, I'd be curious as to your take on that, because that seems to me to be more directed at uh, an actual event that has some credibility to it. I agree with that. But he used the words, if they have only the one tape, he said, I have to find, find 13,000 votes. Now, find has a dictionary definition. It means it's there, it's been lost, and now you have to search for it and find it. He didn't use the term manufacture, concoct, make up, invent. And so they're going to have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he communicated to the Secretary of State to make up votes. And I don't think the evidence is there to support it. The legal theory is there to support it. But I don't think the evidence is there. When you have an ambiguous word, a word like fine, where the dictionary definition helps Trump, I just don't think you'll get a prosecution. I think the strongest case against Trump 
is the classified material case. And he's going to win that not legally, not on the facts, not on the law, but on politics, because I think the Justice Department is going to say, look, how would we look if we prosecuted Trump for this and didn't go after Biden and didn't go after Pence and didn't go after uh, Hillary Clinton when she was uh, in possession of classified material? So, so I think they're going to go 0 for 4. They're not going to get the January 6th case because he made a constitutionally protected speech. He said he wanted them to go to the Capitol and protest peacefully and patriotically. So there's a lot of smoke. There's maybe some arson. But I don't think there's a legitimate fire there. Last question before we go to a break, uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. So, so, Alan, what concerns me is the politicalization of the process, the weaponization right. by prosecutors. And Justice Robert Jackson, when he was attorney general of the United States, in a speech before the Justice Department lawyers, warned that that would be the death knell of democracy by the abuse of that authority by picking a man out and then trying to find a crime to take him down when he's your political enemy. What say you? Look, I, first of all, Jackson was the greatest attorney general in our history and one of the top 10 Supreme Court justices in our history. And of course, he was the prosecutor at Nuremberg. He had it 100 percent right. He said any prosecutor can rummage through the books, find a technicality. He knew that because he was familiar with the Soviet Union. And he saw what Beria said to Stalin, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. We can't become that country. We can't become that banana republic. That's why I wrote my book. And I wrote the book because I want to warn the American public that today it's Trump, tomorrow it's a Democrat, and the day after tomorrow it's your Uncle Charlie or your grandson or your niece. And so we, all of us, Democrat or Republican, I'm a Democrat, have a stake in making sure that Bragg, pays consequences for bringing this abusive prosecution. And uh, Professor Dershowitz, I have one quick process question that everybody's wondering. What's going to happen is if this happens and if it does go forward with Bragg, with this indictment against Trump, could it be virtual if it's not virtual? How does that work with Secret Service if Secret Service doesn't want to hand him over? Uh, What do we do? I mean, is there going to be like a, a battle between Secret Service? Well, Secret Service has said no, they may not want to be able to not hand them over because it creates safety to the president of the United States, a former president. Yeah, well, they'll be with him. The indictment will not involve his in- involvement at all, but the arraignment will. And then the Secret Service can walk with him into the courthouse. He will not be denied bail, even though some idiots on the hard left are saying he must be denied bail. <laughs> Because he's going to foment the riot, so he has to be put in Rikers. That's not going to happen. If it were to happen, it would create a major (laughs) constitutional crisis. What do you do with the Secret Service? There is a federal statute that says Secret Service must protect the former president. And under the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution, a federal rule preempts any state prosecution. So I don't think we're going to see that. But if we did, the feds win on this one. Well, the... Alan Dershowitz, wow. thank you. <laughs> that, that was a super that's wow. A, that's a, a super, super wow. wow. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. And, uh, and one of these days, we'll have you in the studio. Well, I'm coming to New York after April 1st, and I'm going to bring April to the studio if you invite me, and I'm going to bring my book. You're invited. Enough copies for everybody on your show signed. Okay? Is that a deal? That's a deal. Appropriately titled, too, by the way, given the news. (laughs) Well, you know where I got the title from? I got the title from Letitia James's campaign. She campaigned on the promise, I will, quote, get 
Trump. So I didn't make it up. I get no credit. Letitia <laughs> James gets the credit for inventing the title Get Trump. Well, we look forward to seeing you in New York, Professor. Let's, let's take you. a break. And when we come back, we have a guy that's been around politics for a long time. We had Ed, Ed Rollins, and uh, we look forward to talking to him. Let's have a break. For- this episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Common Sense Recap of the Day's Biggest Stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we're back to Katz and Cosby, John, and continuing the big story of the day about Trump. Well, who knows what's happening? And uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I try to be a law and order person. I try to be a common sense person. I think a... Uh, a Trump indictment right now is unwarranted. I mean, we're going to become a third world country. Uh, the, the Democrats indict Trump, and then the Republicans indict Biden or Biden's son. And, you know, we keep going on and on. We'll be Venezuela in no time. It's a vicious cycle. It just keeps going on. Vicious every, every, cycle. And keeps, absolutely, guys, we now have we right have now. have a real good historian, a real smart guy from uh, the GOP, ran... Uh, help run uh, Ronald Reagan's campaign. We have a good friend. I went to his birthday party uh, the other day, and and he was a he he was eighty, but he looks sixty. And uh, mentally, he's like forty. He is sharp as a tack, and yes, he he's is. one of the best ones out there. Our dear friend Ed Rollins. Ed, this is Rita Cosby with John. Rita, how, how are you, you my friend? It's wonderful to be with both of you. You're both great friends and great uh, uh, chroniclers of what's happening. Oh, you thank know, you. I think it's I think it's very disturbing, John. What, what, you, what you're saying in the sense of that, you know, this this is going to be a very bizarre and a very difficult uh, for all of us uh, tr- trial. If if I, I assume a, a, an indictment is coming, well, maybe that's a false assumption, but I think we need to wait and see the evidence. But I think what's what bothers me is that it's the one of several, and I think to it's it's going to tear the fabric of the country for the simple reason that. You got to have law and order. You got to have the, the local governments have to have a prerogative of being able to make the case, and then it always goes to a jury. My concern is the House Republicans, of which I've always been a big supporter, to drag the attorney, the U.S. the district attorney from here to hearings where there's no no uh, logical way of doing that. Just doesn't make politics. I mean, if if, if Trump is guilty, they're going to put the evidence forward, and he'll be found guilty. He's not. He, all the, all the commotion around the sides and all the rest of it is not going to alter the, the decision of 12 people here in this town if they indict. But I agree with you. It's going to create chaos, and it's going to create – we're now in a revenge mode. Uh, go get Biden. Go get uh, Hillary. Go get all the rest of them. And that's what's destroyed politics. I've been in politics for 50 years. I've never seen a worse environment. The American public is tired of all of this, and I think to a certain extent the young people – don't feel very encouraged by any of it. There's a lot of problems facing this country. We need to be addressing them. We need to be addressing law and order here in New York. We need to be addressing lots of things in Washington, D.C. But clearly this is going to be the dominant issue. Ed, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. Welcome back to the show. 
I'm very concerned, as you are, about the divisiveness. But I'm also concerned that what's going to happen here is you're going to have a lot of people rallying around Trump. And that's going to help him get the nomination. And I don't know if that's either good for the Republican Party, for the down ballot races like the Senate or the House or the the legislatures. I think that's a real problem. I happen to think that Donald Trump was a good president. I don't think he was a particularly good politician. And he made more enemies than he made friends. And that's why he has he has this problem. But the net net is we really have to put this stuff behind us. But I think this is going to bolster Trump's nomination. What say you? I would say that you're absolutely correct. He could, he could, he could get the nomination out of this, but I don't think it necessarily leads to winning a presidency. And, and at the end of the day, being a nominee is 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 important, but it's not the end game. The end game here is how do we win the presidency back, and how do we get the Senate and the House back? The reality is we are in a chaotic situation, and I expect the next two years to be even more of that. And it's hateful and it's disgusting. And when you get into a city like New York, that obviously is a is the the media and financial capital of the world. Uh, you, you can't just have the protests. You can't have the, you know, whatever, whatever the process, whatever this gets moved forward, it has to be orderly. You have to have law and order. Whatever the process becomes, uh, you, you would hope that the attorney, that the, uh, the district attorney, if he is going to make a case, he's got a legitimate case and he can make his case to 12 citizens. At the end of the day, the 12 citizens will be the ones who decide. This is probably the worst place for Trump to to go to trial, though, in the sense that there's not many Trump supporters, as we know, in the city. But I think at the end of the day, the next two years, and I've done a lot of, I'm not a lawyer, but I've done a lot of communications and, and, and work with lawyers uh, on strategy and trials. I think it's very hard for a presidential candidate to be distracted every single day by having to sit down with your lawyers, having to go through the process, having to be in court. Uh, to win the presidency back against Biden, we're going to have to have someone full time, someone who could obviously make their case to the American public of why we're going to be better, as opposed to just this sort of chop each other off of the knees and yell and scream at each other and say that they were worse than we are. Uh, I'm, I'm very concerned. I'm very worried. Yep. And Ed Rollins, everybody, we're talking to the great Republican strategist, Craig Eaton, uh, former Brooklyn GOP chairman. You've got a question. Yeah, Ed. Um, you know, it the political political world has turned into a circus now. And we were just talking with Professor Dershowitz about the weaponization of the DOJ and now the local prosecutors, the weaponization of their offices to just interfere with the 2024 election. Well, you know, obviously uh, presidents can't be be charged. And obviously that's a lot of that went on during the, during the Trump. Yeah. But I also think the whole political process, once someone becomes a candidate, before you, and obviously Trump has decided to be a candidate again, you've got to be very careful what you do. Uh, to the points I just laid out, if Donald Trump is dragged into court for the next months and months and months, and his front page story, it's network news, it's 24-hour cable, it's very hard for him to make his case to the American public of why he should be president. To my sense is the negative kinds of campaigns we run today, you know, just be both sides take out their bats and their hatchets and go at each other. And that's not good for the country. There's a lot of problems this country faces, a lot of international situations we have to deal with. And I, my, my sense is we ought to have a good, decent campaign in which the country makes its choices. Obviously, we hope it's Republican choices. But I think we're going to have a knockdown, drag out, crazy period. The next two years could be the most significant period. I've been in politics for 50 years. It could be the most significant period in, in my political lifetime. And it could turn off an awful lot of people. 
polarize an awful lot of people. And Governor Pataki, you had an interesting point of what you think is driving Bragg. Oh, yeah. There's no question in my mind. It's uh, well, he, he wants to get Trump just because that's the type of person he is. But also he got to be the Manhattan D.A. Uh, Vance couldn't run again because he didn't get Trump. And I think uh, Bragg is looking at the the negative press from all the criminality that's going on in the streets and saying, well, I get Trump. That guarantees me the nomination again. But more importantly, <laughs> more importantly, looking forward, uh, you know, uh, Ed, I think you hit it right in the head. It's uh, the end game is not getting the nomination. It's winning the election. So whether or not Trump gets indicted, who do we have? How do we win the election in 2024? Well, we certainly have a very weak governor in my sense is you've got to make your case against her. And, and, and obviously, I just worry about not being able to basically focus on, on what it takes to win a campaign. What Republicans don't do, and you're the last governor to win. So the reality is you got to be able to count. Uh, we can't count votes. So we, we underestimate the process of the opponents. Democrats work at this thing 24 hours a day, yep. 365 days a year. To them, it's a vocation to us. It's a volunteer program that we do every couple of years. And I just would argue that this needs, you know, we're talking about yeah. Oops, Ed, we got to wrap up in, in a few seconds here. Um, Trump won the presidency by 70,000 votes. Ed Rollins, we love you. Thank you very much for being here, Ed. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. very much. Happy birthday, Ed. Happy too. birthday. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank you, John, for coming. Thank you. And uh, right now, we're going to go to Lou Dobbs to find out what happened in the markets. And then for a, ba- a bigger explanation, we're going to go to Charlie Gasparino at 534 to find out. Oh, my God. The, the president, Biden, has vetoed the ESG override. What does that mean? We'll find out. And at the end, we have uh, President uh, uh, Trump's attorney. Bob Costello. Bob Costello. Let's take that break and come back. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Katz and Cosby here on WABC, the number one show. We continue now with Judge Richard Weinberg, of course, former New York governor, the greatest governor. And he's in a movie. Oh, yeah. Wait. Uh, well, Richard Weinberg is, right? I, I'm going to be his I'm agent. I'm ready to be in a movie. But <laughs> You've got movie Star Wars. By the way, you also played basketball with Robert Costello, who's coming up on the show. I did. He shot too much. You know, but, uh, <laughs> Who do you him. shoot? Judge Weinberg, please introduce our next guest. Matt, are you there? Yes, we understand that Matt is here. And this is, of course, Matt Taylor, who did the big documentary with you. We understand he's ready. All right. Matt Taylor is a well-known, respected filmmaker. He did a great documentary. It's called Gotham, The Fall and Rise of New York. It tells a very important story of how New York was saved in the bad old days and the lessons to be learned from it. Matt? Hey there, how are you doing? Pleasure Good. to be here today. Well, it's, it's great to have you on the show. It was nice seeing you and uh, Michelle last night. So you did this fantastic documentary. Tell us why you did it and why it's so important. 
You know, it started in 2019 as a project to commemorate the efforts put forth by the people who saved the city in the 90s. But as the project, as COVID came and we were making the project through the COVID era, uh, the project took on a different dimension. And instead of looking backwards, we realized that it was really a project to look forward to save our cities from the state that they've fallen into uh, up to this day. And as you know, New York City is struggling. Chicago is doing terrible. So the project took on a different scope to show people how a city can be saved, the kind of policies that can be implemented, and how to realign incentives to get better performance out of your local and state government. So I want to know, are we getting invited to the Academy Awards when Judge Weinberg accepts for Best Actor? I heard the judge was nominated. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. I wasn't sure. I was trying to figure that out. But, you know, the lessons, Matt, are very simple. We know exactly what we need to do to save the city. The problem is we're dealing with the city council and a state legislature that refuse to do the hard work and take an honest look at the dangers of facing this city and state. Governor, I want to ask you, you went through – through the 9-11 situation, you have to rally the people to do the right thing. Would you explain I'll this? Tell you, I'll tell you, Judge, before that, there, when I took office, uh, everybody was doubting the future of this city. And as Matt documents, there were over 2,000 murders a year. And we had to do three things. You had to change the criminal justice system. You had to change the economic climate. And you had to improve the quality of life. Uh, and, and the mayor can only do so much. And we're seeing that with Mayor Adams now. He's talking about the bail law and other things. And we passed over 100 different criminal justice reforms in Albany to help make this city a safe, and the state a safer place. So, uh, you know, the formula is there. You Governor, know, you got to lock up violent criminals and you have to cut taxes so people want to be here. Governor, you took action against a, a, a district attorney that wasn't doing their job. Can you tell us about that? Sure. You know, the, the, everybody, when you get elected to office, you take an oath to uphold the Constitution of the state of New York. The district attorney in the Bronx refused to enforce the death penalty at all in any case. And uh, I talked to him about it, and he said he just would never consider it. It was the law of the state. So I removed him from all those cases and put in a special prosecutor. If the district attorney doesn't uphold their oath of office, the governor has the power to do that. And you look at Bragg, and he, he day one put out the statement of all the crimes he wasn't going to seek jail time for. That is a violation of his oath of office. And had I been governor, I would have removed him from those cases. Wow. Yeah. And uh, that boy, is lot. news. Yeah, that is, that is yeah. news. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, Richard, our friend that uh, listens to the show, please uh, do what you have to do on that one. Yeah, that so, is. So, Matt, so tell us what's happening with the, uh, the documentary next. Well, you know, the documentary released today on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and uh, it's going to it's available for everybody. And I hope lawmakers watch this film. Um, to to really kind of get the idea of that, you know, a lot of people uh, put a lot of time into saving the city. There's ways to, re- again, realign incentives. And, and here's the thing. One of the beautiful things about the film is while a lot of people focus on the 90s, there's a, we actually started in 1966, and we showed that there were other people also working to save the city. You know, for example, Peter Ballone and the throwing out of the Board of Estimates. These were big changes that helped lead to some of these massive changes that came later. So it's it's a lot of people in a lot of sectors can do their part to get the city, any city, back online. You know, and again, we saw it in New York. If we did it then, we could do it again. Matt, this is Craig Eaton. I, I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, and I spend a lot of time in the community. I, I went to the premiere with Judge 
Weinberg, and it was an amazing, amazing film. I just want to say you did a great job. You, you put together, you assembled some really great people, some, some former chiefs in the police department that I knew very well years back, and, uh, you know, Godspeed. And I think I'm going to a special showing tomorrow. Tomorrow night. So uh, tomorrow, I mean, uh, we'll present you an Oscar. <laughs> I, I want to be his agent. We'll have to Matt, make it tonight. We'll Matt Taylor, it thank you so much for doing such a great job. Uh, we're going to hire you to do another movie soon. And uh, God bless you, and uh, God bless New York, and we need help in New York. And I understand we have another uh, guest on. We have Charlie Gasparino, and maybe... Charlie Gasparino will tell us what the heck is going on in the markets. Are we going to go? Is, is the banks going to go bankrupt because the uh, the Fed is raising interest rates too fast? Well, it was either that or, you know, people can't afford food and gas. No, but <laughs> gasoline. But but crude oil is down to sixty five. I told you yeah. so. Yeah, but it's still three dollars and fifty cents a gallon. So no no bargain. Uh, but it will reflect it's still, itself. And there's still a ton of inflation in the system. I talk to every restaurateur I know, tell me their margins are getting crushed. So my guess is he's going to raise again another 25 basis points. Oh, no. Um, no. Yeah, we do have. We do we're have going to break the banks, not only break the real yeah, estate industry. Have, uh, I, I know. I know. Well, you know, listen, it's you Wall Street guys who gambled away. And, you know, you know here's the thing. The, you cannot do what they did with fiscal and monetary policy and not have a correction of this type. You can't. Uh, you, if you're going to print this much money, spend this much money on the fiscal side, you know, print as the Fed did, create asset classes out of thin air, which went down with crypto and stocks and you name it, you're going to get this. And banks, particularly mid-sized banks, got flooded with cash. They had to put it to work. And it had nothing to do with the uh, relaxation of a few tenants of Dodd-Frank because all these banks, mid-size, they, they all get, you know, proctology exams from the Fed every every five minutes. <laughs> That's a good Charlie, Charlie, I'm in the room with uh, with four guys. All right, so <laughs> and apparently Silicon Valley Bank never got that sort of exam. I guess because the federal regulator was more concerned about uh, climate and ESG. Well, they did get that exam. That's the that's the that's the dirty little secret. They just didn't do anything about it. Because of they was, who's the, on uh, the board, right. Charlie? It's Richard Warren. Who is on that was, board? Was a little too much. Uh, let me finish. I'm saying because the federal regulator, the San Francisco Fred, Fed, was more interested in ESG and stuff, and they didn't take it to the next level. But they did get they did, did get the exam. No one did anything about it. And you know, listen. I, my point is my bigger point is you know, Silicon Valley Bank is like a chapter now. They're gone. They were working on First Republic Bank, and from what I understand, I don't care if the market's up today. Kind of exuberance that Jamie Dimon is helping bail out First Republic Bank. From what I understand, there are two dozen banks of this size, this mid-size, which is a lot, uh-huh. that are very impaired. They have wow. an asset liability mismatch. That's scary. They have, That's scary. Invested, they invested in bad, bad debt, bad loans, and if and and because those loans we're going to an economic slowdown, those loans are, are underperforming, or they're going default into default or belly up or whatever. The um, you know, they have to sell their portfolio, and this portfolio of bonds is still underwater. So I'm just telling you, you know, this is a relief rally. But Charlie. when I saw this during 2008, I, every, I, and I, I was on CNBC, and I remember it because I got a bunch of stock traders on CNBC. Oh, it's over. Everything is great. Everybody's going back to, you know. Just... Uh-oh, did we just lose Charlie? 
I think we just I lost Charlie. Just lost I think Charlie we lost Charlie. Cell phone. I think somebody from the Fed cut him off. Yeah, he, he, maybe he was going to say something. He were, by the way, the other thing, too. I'm sure we'll get him back on. Is the whole veto thing. Did you see this? President Biden issues his first veto, and he see, brought you up have ESG. To understand, you have to understand and have the public understand what ESG means. Yes. What, what the government tried to do is create an okay for the for the hedge funds or for the mutual funds to invest public money without the public really knowing what ESG means. It means investing in solar cells and windmills. Yep, environmental, and te- social. How does the commercial that, yeah. go? Margot used to do a commercial, take it from John. Well, take it from Margot. I'm saying it, take it from John. You invest in ESG, invest in solar cells, solar cells and, and windmills, you're going to go broke. Well, and that's that's what he had the opportunity to do well, right by Americans, and he said no. And, and, and President Biden vetoed the veto that, uh, in other words, he wants to allow the public to invest in crap like that, that 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 uh, to help the solar cell companies and the windmills, and and they're going to go broke. What say you, Charlie Gasparino? Well, you know, listen, I wrote that law. Um, it doesn't say you have to invest in it. It says you can. And I think that's one of the problems here with this ESG debate is the sort of, um, you know, the, the sort of uh, ideology and the, the rigid ideology on both sides. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm far from an advocate of ESG. I'm quite the opposite. But if New York State Pension Fund, which is run by a bunch of lefties, wants to do ESG and, and, uh, and the cops and the firemen and the uh, teachers don't care, well, that's up to them. Uh, I just don't want it imposed every place, imposed upon me as an individual who puts his money in X, Y, and Z, or imposed on a uh, on Florida, New York's values. And I think that's the problem that we got here, and particularly with our controller, this guy Landler. What's Landler? Lander, yeah. Lander. I mean, this guy is out of his mind. He's, he's wasting stuff. away the, the the money of the people of New York, he their pension wrote funds. A letter to BlackRock. He wrote this type of letter to BlackRock. I read it, where it basically said, "Listen, you, even though you advocate ESG in a lot of places, aren't going far enough. You know, you got to completely do this, completely do that, and you know, set up a plan." And BlackRock wrote, wrote him back something which I thought was really common sense because Larry Fink at bottom is a very common sense investor. He's the head of BlackRock. He said, listen, if you want us to design an ESG portfolio that's really strict and rigid for you, I'll do that. But don't tell me to do it in Florida. And and that's one of the problems with this ESG stuff. It's crazy. Um, Now, what's a worse worse investment, Bitcoins or ESG? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think think crypto – Maybe not Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is, is benefiting from a flight to quality because all those other cryptos went under. What quality? Crypto, That's know, dumber than dumb. <laughs> well, listen, windmills might make a few bucks. <laughs> yeah. When was the last time you bought a slice of pizza on, a, on the Bitcoin blockchain? <laughs> well, Charlie Gasparino, we love you. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you, Charlie. We love you. All right, guys. Thank you. And by the way, John, we got a blockbuster guest coming up. He was the key witness before the Bragg Grand Jury. Let's take a breather, take a break, and we're going to come back. And we have a blockbuster attorney. uh, Robert Costello. Robert Costello. Let's take that break. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. 
And welcome back to Cats and Cosby. Rita Cosby, the lucky one with this room full of John Katsimatidis, of course, the great host. Also, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, Governor Pataki, and also Craig Eaton. Uh, Bob Costello, you were the big witness yesterday before the Bragg Grand Jury. We're so thrilled to have you here on the show. And uh, joining us here in the studio, Governor Pataki's got a big question for Bob, you. Very simply, by the way, I won't hold it against you that it shot too much when we played basketball together, but that's, that's another I story. Made- I made you a great rebounder. <laughs> if you made the shot, I wouldn't have had to grab the rebound. But that's another. But, that, <laughs> but, that, but that's another issue. So you are the star guy. You were in there yesterday, and I don't know if you heard Alan Dershowitz, but he said you did no. brag uh, a favor by totally disqualifying uh, Cohen as a witness by proving he's a liar. Um, could you? Uh, elaborate on that? Did, in fact, uh, you convince them that they can't rely on Cohen, and does that mean there won't be an indictment? Well, uh, I didn't know that you needed convincing that Michael Cohen was a liar because (laughs) he pled guilty to perjury. So before I went in there, he was a convicted perjurer and a felon. But when I went in there, uh, and the reason I went in there was just listening to the media, listening to Michael Cohen make statements before he went into the grand jury and after he came out of the grand jury that were completely the opposite to what he told us during his moment of crisis in April 17th, 2018, when he was suicidal. Literally, he told us that he had been on the roof of the Regency Hotel the weekend before, and he was seriously considering jumping off. And we had that story confirmed by Reverend Jerry Falwell and his wife when he told the same thing, too. And my partner, who was with me at the time, knew Cohen for 10 years through uh, the school that we represent, uh, Columbia Grammar and Prep. Uh, We're outside counsel for that school, and Michael Cohen was on the board. So I looked at him, and he nodded yes. He he certainly thought that Cohen was telling the truth. He was pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, like a tiger in a cage at the zoo, honestly. And – We told him, I told him, because Jeff is a civil lawyer, and I'm the one who was a former deputy chief of the criminal division in the Southern District. I explained to him his options, and one of his options was cooperation. He brought it up. Can I get a pardon? No. Can I get commutation? No. Can I cooperate? (laughs) Yes, you can, but it's a trade. I said, Michael, these people in the Southern District are not interested in you. You're a bump in the road. Their interest clearly is Donald Trump, so the way out of this— is to uh, cooperate if you have something to cooperate. Because if it's Donald Trump you're cooperating against, you can get a non-prosecution agreement, which means you're out of this picture at all. I said, it's a lot better than suicide. And he thought and said, I don't have anything against Donald Trump. And I must have asked him that same question. We were there for two hours, probably seven different ways, just to make sure that he kept on reiterating And after the first time where he simply said, I don't have anything on Donald Trump, after that, every time his response was, I swear to God, Bob, I don't have anything on Donald Trump. Did you say that at the grand jury yesterday? And do you think that'll impact whether or not Adams goes forth with or Bragg goes forth with the uh, indictment? I absolutely said that, Uh, even though they didn't ask me a question that would have called for that response. I felt that they were trying to avoid that response. So I volunteered it. Several times. Now, whether that convinces the grand jury or convinces the prosecutors is anybody's guess. 
they clearly didn't really want me to present the exculpatory evidence to the grand jury, but I did so anyway because that's the only reason why. That is hot news. I, uh, you know, that is hot news, Bob. Well, here's the other hot news. You know, I presented them, I gave them a package of material, and I gave the same package of material to Donald Trump's lawyer, Susan Nichols, uh, and it consisted of one. 321 emails between myself and Cohn, Cohn and me, and myself and my partner about Cohn and about the lies that he was telling us. They put six of those emails out of 321 into evidence. So I got into an argument with them. I said, what? right in front of the grand jury, I said, I presented you with 321 emails. These are chronological, day by day, almost moment by moment accounts of the interrelationship between Cohn and us. I said, why don't you get, and I held them up in the air. I said, you should give all of these to the grand jury. They responded, well, we can't because they, it contains some uh, evidence that's not admissible. So I said, like what, hearsay? And they said, yes, hearsay. I said, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because these documents were made and maintained in the regular course of business. And it was the regular course of business to make and maintain these documents. You know what that makes these records? Business records. You know what that means? It's a it's an exception to the hearsay rule. Yeah. So you have no legal basis there. Turn I I turned to the grand jury. I said, you should demand these documents from them. Why are they only cherry picking a couple of emails, six out of three hundred and twenty one? You should see all of them. And what was their reaction to that? What was their reaction oh, to that, Bob? They they were they must be flabbergasted by that. What was yeah. the grand jury's reaction? What, they, what was yeah. the grand jury's reaction? Yeah. Well, it's it's hard to look at twenty one yeah. people. Yeah. We counted how many were there at the time at the at the same time. But I saw at least five or six people nodding their head, shaking their head like, "Yes, you're right, you're right." But they didn't shout out, "Give us the records." I don't know what they asked them once I stepped out of the room at about four forty in the afternoon, but. I made it very clear that Michael Cohn told the story to us, which I think is more believable than the story he's telling now, because he was in a manic state, desperately looking for an escape route. So, uh, the escape uh, route Bob, was cooperation if he had the information. And Bob, uh, this is Rita yeah. Cosby here. I just want to ask also, where just and I know I'm asking you to read the tea leaves, but you were in the room. You have a unique yeah. perspective, uh, Bob Costello. You were the witness there yesterday before Bragg's grand jury. Where do you think this is headed? Um, do and what also? Well, who's going to be the no, next no, what witness? More important, and we only got two minutes left. What more important? Do you right. think they postpone today's uh, uh, indictment because of your testimony? Because I, I, I would postpone it if if I heard your testimony yesterday. Absolutely. Uh, I think, without a doubt, they they postponed it for that reason. They're scrambling to try and figure out what do we do now. Now, if they have good common sense. And there's got to be at least somebody that's smart in that building, maybe a whole <laughs> lot of people. If they look at this, they say, how can we possibly proceed? I mean, they're bringing a monumental case, unprecedented, based upon a convicted perjurer. Not a good idea in anybody's book. Mr. Costello, I, I will be sending you the copy of the, uh, of the interview that we just did now because this is breaking news. And you send it to whoever you want to send it to. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for being Thank here. You. Great talking to you, Bob. Thanks, George. Good to talk to you. Be well.
Wow, blockbuster. I think that was blockbuster news. I think that's the reason the grand jury did not come through today. They did not offer an indictment today. You know why? Because they didn't have a common they, sense. They didn't, they didn't have, have a case. case. And they, and, and, common sense. Someone common came sense. forward with yeah. common John, sense. And numbers. That is, Governor? that is why this show is so good. Yeah. Having people like and Costello break out. news. Here. Yeah. 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 And a blockbuster. He had the evidence, too. He had yeah. some information, too. Hey, what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. God bless America.